This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. This podcast series is made possible by Cotton Incorporated, a not-for-profit company funded by U.S. cotton producers and importers whose mission is to increase the demand and profitability of cotton. Discover what cotton can do. Thank you for joining us today, Mark, John, and Robert. Uh, I know this will be a very exciting and dynamic conversation. Uh, you're each known for being quite candid about the challenges in the industry and, and what it's going to take to turn things around. Uh, so to the audience, uh, we have three industry veterans who are actively working to address the industry's long lead times to, to discuss how companies are making speed to market work and the wrong ways to go about it, and the right steps to take to streamline the development times. Um, while the first mile has been the topic of a lot of conversations, and fast fashion and speed to market are buzzwords and many retailers turnaround strategies, um, I feel, and I'm sure you guys feel, very few are able to successfully address it. Today, we really want to find out if the pursuit of speed is doing more damage than good. So, before we start, I just want to introduce everyone that's with us today. We have uh, John Thorback. John is a former VP at Timberland and CEO of GH Bass. He is currently the CEO and founder of Change Capital, where he focuses on helping companies improve the first, middle, and last mile. Mark Bernstein is the president of sales and development and chief strategy officer for NGC and apparel ERP, PLM, SCM, and Global Software uh, Solutions Company. And Robert DeLorean is a chair, is chairman and CEO of Excel Brands, maker of uh, Isaac Mizrahi, C. Wonder, and H. Halston labels. He advocates uh, a weekly delivery schedule as a solution for retail price wars that are eroding the market. From sketch to store, the production cycle for uh, many of Excel, uh, Excel's fashion product is about four to six weeks. And uh, Excel happens to be a customer of NGC. So um, before we kick off the conversation, I, I just want to get uh, clear, clear, clear the air on one thing. Um, it seems that speed to market is a buzzword that's that's being used quite often. Uh, and I feel that it's being used uh, interchangeably with, with 
the term fast fashion. And uh, we both know that you know, we all know that that's not correct. So just before we start getting into the weeds a little bit, um, Mark, maybe you could just clarify this. Can you clarify the difference between speed to market and fast fashion? Sure, Eddie. So speed to market allows companies to be fast fashion brands. But let me explain. There are over 150 different tasks and activities between a product concept and getting a product available at retail. Almost every department of a company, plus all third-party vendors, suppliers, and providers are involved in that process. Every fashion brand and retailer wants to perform that process faster. That's what's called speed to market. However, when a fashion brand or retailer decides to skip some or many of those steps to quickly offer products to the consumer, to me, that's known as fast fashion. This shortcut approach can provide two benefits, cheaper products and faster delivery due to the elimination of those activities within the process. But product quality always suffers. That's why fast fashion is often associated with cheap, throwaway clothing that the consumer wears once or twice and then discards. So would um, uh, John or, or Robert, do you, do you agree with that? You, you want to add anything to that? So, so I, it's, it's Bob Eddy, and I would agree 100% with Mark. There is a very clear distinction between fast to market and fast fashion. And, and it, it, there's no doubt fast fashion is cheap, trend right fashion, disposable clothing, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, personally, I don't believe that that's an option for department stores because the consumer is expecting much more quality. And it is a daunting task to be fast to market and have high quality. And, and the way I think we all have to look at this is we need to be fast, we need to be better, better, and we need to achieve fair prices. And, and that's not an easy thing to do. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And, and for those that don't get it right, um, the question is, is the quest for speed to market, can it be detrimental to a company? Um, when is it not the right strategy for a brand or retailer to try to implement a speed to market strategy? Um, John, you want to you want to speak on that? You know, I'm I'm kind of careful about the distinctions between uh, speed to market and fast fashion. I think speed to market has always been important uh, and a component of strategy. And there's a sort of a 30 year history behind uh, quick response, speed to market, and you know, very closely related names. Um, and fast fashion, I think we have to be careful about that definition because I don't think it's a standard definition. Um, and I don't think it necessarily applies broadly, even to those that are most identified with it. Zara is very different from an H&M and Forever 21 and a Uniqlo. And so, you know, one phrase doesn't necessarily capture what they do. So what's the lesson there? The lesson is there's a system or shortcuts that Mark referenced, you know, for being highly responsive, lowering inventory risk, and really creating, you know, seasonless assortments, um, you know, in, in stores. You know, all of that is, um, you know, optimizing across speed and cost and flexibility. So it's hard for me to see where 
fast fashion and its lessons don't apply. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I can come up with an example where I would say it was, uh, you know, it was, you know, negative, especially if you view it as something that has to do with being responsive and, uh, you know, lowering your capital risk. Well, I think I think if we get back to, you know, Mark's point that do you think in the pursuit of speed, some companies who don't truly understand the the the, the culture or the or the, the strategy or the economics behind it uh, are in the process cheapening the product or rushing to get product to market or not, or, you know, or actually hurting their brand more than helping it just by trying to, you know, maybe, you know, uh, get Wall Street or get the you know the VC community all excited about this newfound strategy because it's 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 the word of the moment or the the catchphrase of the moment. So, I believe there's the right process to get a good quality product delivered, and speeding up that process is very important. So I think speed to market is always the right strategy, but there are also activities within that process that can move faster, but it's at a cost. So like the simplest example I can give is freight versus boat versus air. When shipping by air, the freight cost can increase by a factor of 10, but the product will arrive 30 days sooner. In some cases, it might make sense to increase the speed to market because the benefits certainly outweigh the cost. But in other cases, it doesn't make sense. And I'm sure Robert can attest to that fact. Well, well, Robert, you're you know you're you're a proponent, and you spoke you, you know I, I've I've been on many panels with you, and I've heard you speak many times. Um, you're a proponent of of the 52 week delivery cycle. We know that that's one of the things that that makes Zara extremely successful is 52 weeks of fashion. You know that's one of the phrases that you know I always uh, give you credit for for saying when I, when I use it. Um, you know, bringing new product each week into the store. But here's the thing: if all brands move to this model. If tomorrow every department store was able to have a new line or new product assortment every week, would that would that fix the department store's problems? Is, is there an is is that speed and flexibility? Is there a demand that matches that speed? The answer is no. And and just to go back and I'll answer that you know directly, but I di- I did want to talk a little bit about understanding how to build fast-to-market collections, because not all of the collection needs to be fast. Some of it can go longer lead, and and we're defining long lead as, say, say four to five months. So you really have to understand how to plan your collections, what portions of each of the the fundamental buckets that you're designing into, what the life cycle of each of the components of your collections is, and then you can back into where you need speed. It's, it's, it's not, it, speed is, isn't the answer to the whole process. So then to address your question about is the thought of shipping in product, is speed itself the fix? No. There's a discovery process that each and every retailer is going to have to go through to implement faster supply chains. There isn't currently consumer demand or an expectation that in the average department store, they can expect to see newness every single week. 
So there's a consumer education process that we, we have to all begin to do. And then we need to understand what is that right flow. You can start immediately by shipping goods in every week, but you will get backed up on inventory for sure because that demand isn't there yet. The consumer doesn't really understand that they can go to a department store today for that kind of newness every single week. So you have to, you have to sort of walk before you run when you implement this as a strategy within a retailer. So maybe the right flow is monthly, then every two weeks, uh, until you get your customer accustomed to what you're doing. No, I, I, I agree with that. You know, you know, John, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, one, one of the things we, we speak a lot about offline are, are the difficulty of companies um, implementing a, 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 a speed to market strategy. And, and you work uh, with uh, quite a bit of the, the more successful retailers who've, who've been able to do this. What do you see is the hurdles um, keeping other brands and retailers from, from becoming quicker? Well, I would say I work with retailers who are attempting this and particularly to uh, achieve it at scale. And there's really very, very few um, that can claim, um, you know, much of a victory um, on that level. And uh, everyone has sort of their fast fashion story, their fast track uh, factory relationship and uh, a trend line where they're able to um, you know, bring fashion to market, but doing it in a meaningful, uh, profitable level, uh, you know, that's a different question. So I, I think the obstacles are really that it's been, been treated as an operational issue and not as a, you know, a strategic issue. I, I, I think there's, there's focus on the back end and treating it as a, you know, as a supply chain and support issue when I think it's it's really a front-end decision-making issue. You know, speed to market to me is, is not so much about, um, you know, faster factories. It has more to do with speed to market in, uh, in decision-making. I think the industry has been still too reliant on issues of buyer power, um, you know, forcing factories into taking prices and risks that, um, you know, are... Um, are difficult to swallow. And I think that needs to change into more of an end-to-end -end approach, uh, you know, for collaboration between, you know, factories and, and retailers. So it's still very much an adversarial price and inventory war. And so uh, I think the obstacle is we really haven't moved away from an existing system. We're just trying to make it operate faster when in fact what we need is a, is a you know, a very, a very different model. Um, you know, that's, you know, highly responsive and uh, collaborative and, uh, and, and frankly, end to end. So, so there's, a, there's a bunch of things you said there, John, that I actually want to piggyback off of, but I, I'm sure this is a question that um, uh, both Robert and, and Mark want to chime in on. So um, Robert, you want to, you want to say something, Mark, you want to say something? So, so, you know, Ed, I, I agree with John and I, sort of think of this in in six buckets of things that you really have to deal with when you're trying to make this transition. First and the most difficult is change management because 
speed to market isn't just about fast factories. It's, it's, every, it, it's a redo, a reset of every department within the organization. Two is technology. If you don't have the right tech supporting all of this, it will fail. Three is your factory base. There has to be a willingness for the factory base to change as well. Four is integrated teams. The, at the core of all of this is speed of decision-making. And there has to be a willingness to share risk and integrate teams, factory teams, retailer teams, vendor teams, all working in one place to achieve speed. And then comes in our mind what I would call all the operational things that you need to do to actually execute this. And we call this playbooks. Some people call them operating manuals. But if, if you think you're going to go in and do this without investing in planning every aspect of your organization, it won't work. And then the last bucket is capital investment. You have to be willing to fund the capital to fill every one of these buckets. Those are, in my mind, the hurdles after having lived this for two years. Mark, you might, you might have a different view or you know, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Bob, I agree with you 100%, but I think it all boils down to one common denominator, the people. So last week, Kalitha wrote an article about Toyota's ascendance in the automotive industry. Their focus was on quality, and that's what put them on top. The company's secret weapon turned out to be its employees, and by empowering them, Toyota was able to leapfrog all the other automakers. Even one of the plant managers said, you, can, you can't copy our performance unless you copy what's going, in on, going on in our people's heads. So faster speed of market requires getting your employees on board. Would you concur, Bob? That is, that is the first bucket, change management. If you don't get everyone on board, all constituencies, including the people on your teams, this will not work. Well, Mark, you remember last week we were, we were at a conference, uh, at the AFA conference in D.C., and there was a slide. Um, someone asked the, um, the, the founder of Zara, Ortega, um, you know, why are you so fast? And his reply is, well, why is everyone so slow? So, John, you know, you made a comment about what I really call the, the first mile economics um, the earlier. But I, I want to I address the logistics in this. You've said before, and if I'm quoting you incorrectly, please correct me, that Zara, you know, in many ways is a logistics company doing fashion. Or we look at Amazon. Amazon is a logistics company doing fashion. Um, how much um, of this success today is based on the back-end logistics um, and not so much getting the right, you know, the right style or, you know, the, hitting the right product, the right trend cycle, the right product cycle? Um, how much of speed is focused on simply back-end logistics? Well, logistics is very important, but it's be much too simplistic to say that logistics um, is 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 the answer. Um, I would say uh, there's actually a, a very strong similarity between Amazon and uh, uh, and Zara, and and while they both have superior but different logistics capabilities, the achievement of both is that they've been able to take the um, 
the fashion risk out of fashion. From For Amazon, they've been able to uh, distribute that um, uh, across their network so they don't have to own inventory. Um, and in Zara's case, they're able to, um, you know, use this first mile, um, you know, model to, you know, take out long lead times and therefore take out the risks and uncertainties of a long lead time. Both of those lead to superior profitability. So I would say both of them have, you know, a service orientation, um, much more than just simply logistics, you know, capability. Senor Ortega, the founder of Zara, constantly is saying everything we do is to make the store manager's job easier. And in the Zara culture, the store manager is the proxy for the consumers. That's the customer proxy. So what they've done is say they've set up a service-oriented culture that serves the stores, who of course serves the customer. So I think you know, uh, logistics very important, but um, you know I think that's really now you know price of admission, and can that be turned into um, you know a culture um, you know that really works end to end? Um, you know, Zara's different is more in its values than in its actual. Um, you know, value. And I don't think enough attention is really paid to that. What would you say, you know, it, it, it seems that, you know, a lot of these topics are, are making it to mainstream media today. You know, everyone's trying to do same day deliver delivery. Um, everyone's trying to do free shipment. Everyone's trying to deliver from store to the store. Um, you know, there's so much emphasis on um, last mile. Um, but then again, you know, just a last mile strategy by itself is not going to work. And a first mile strategy by itself isn't going to work. So, so what is it? Is 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 it is it is it this collaborative effort between um, multiple companies? Is it you know it's it's very complex. I mean, I think everyone's looking for this panacea, one a one one pill that's going to fix the entire you know uh, industry. But what, what do you think, John? Well, I think what Zara has shown us is that a low tech, low growth. Um, low profit, global industry can actually be very, very profitable. And it's simply remarkable that they have a market capitalization that is so far beyond a global industry. So there's good news in that. And so the ability to reduce the risk in a, what has been a high risk fashion industry, you know, we, we, all, we all need to pay attention to that. And not just simply accept that this is a you know a, a low margin business you know forever, and so you know the, the source of that, the reason that first mile is meaningful, especially at a time when Amazon has put so much attention on last mile. The reason first mile is important is because we really fail to grasp that it's the the, the source of value upstream in manufacturing. And if we can really break down the risk further upstream, then we get all of the downstream benefits of that. So you can't really look at this as, as simply, um, you know, styling or uh, order cycles or, uh, you know, number of assortments that, you know, make it to store. It, it really is looking at it end to end and, you know, reducing the risk, um, uh, you know, of, of, of a fashion business. The reward for that is, is substantial and is worth everybody's investment.
no no one is left behind actually um, it's an opportunity um, whether you're in the in, you know a factory and a supplier whether you're a tech provider um, whether you're a retailer or a brand you know this is an opportunity that we've accepted as you know kind of low profit and low growth and you know Zara has has, has shown us just as Amazon has shown us that there are alternatives. I want to pivot for a second. Um, you're, you're unique in this conversation because you actually, uh, as a service provider, has a, has a solution that connects the supply chain. But again, how do brands overcome the cultural problem? And that seems to be a theme that everyone's bringing up here is people to get everyone to implement it from the factory to the lowest executive to the highest executive across the supply chain because unless everyone's going to you know be on board with technology again we, we you know we, we keep saying you can't you can't take a uh, an analog model and add technology on top of it and, and expect to fix to fix the supply chain so what do you do and how does your team work with companies to, to get them to implement and, and really change the way they operate well, I mean, typically companies uninstall Excel. So as soon as they do that, you'd be surprised at the adoption rate. But no, I'm just kidding about that. But really, when you develop a digital supply chain platform, that's where all the base information related to styles, materials, vendors, purchases, shipments, that's where all the um, information exists. And if people continue to use emails because the system doesn't contain all the mission critical data it breaks down the chain so the goal is to get everyone in the supply chain all the participants digitally connected we have some pretty large clients that have thousands and thousands of users in the software and what we found that once they have access to the mission critical data that they need to do their job the next step is really to enable every participant to focus on a single goal and the successful companies have one goal quickly provide a quality product to the consumer who wants to buy it and once this transformation occurs tremendous success certainly follows now robert someone that that runs a large um you know uh, apparel company what's your thought on that you actually use ngc's product have you had a difficult time getting uh, your factories and your employees and everyone in between to to come up to get on board. So it, it, that's a very good question, Ed. And there there was initial pushback um, from from factories, smaller factories, and of course Excel has a requirement for factories. Um, we will not onboard a factory unless they're a fully automated factory. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it, and if you're if you're working with factories that are automated, it's it's more likely that you'll get them on board with um, platforms like NGC's PLM system. But that's that's only one piece of this because the key to being successful in ways that Zara is successful is Zara makes very intelligent product. So there there's more tech involved here um, at, at different levels of design and production than one might think initially, because this requires onboarding the retailer, 
to give us the, the customer information and the data science that we need. It requires deep dives into trends that are happening out there in social media, so deep trend analytics capability, uh, all coupled with 3D design capability to advanced PLM systems so that we make very intelligent product today. That's going to be the win, and all of this takes time and commitment from everyone in the value chain, from the mills to the factories that are cutting and selling to the retailer and the vendors that are here uh, in the U.S. and other parts of the world. So we only have a few minutes left, um, but but I think there's a, there's a big part of the supply chain that we really didn't touch on here, brought up a few times throughout the conversation, is the factory, is the supplier. How much responsibility does the factories do the agents, but specifically the factories have um, in, in really um, helping companies become become faster. You know, um, Robert, you know, let's start off with you because obviously you're manufacturing goods and you interact with them on a day to day basis. What is the commitment at the factory level that, that, that you need to, to really, um, you know, start working in a much uh, faster and more efficient way? So the commitments that we need from our factories is first, a willingness to change, two, a willingness to invest in and participate in the technologies that we know are needed to truly digitize the supply chain, uh, a willingness to, sh to invest in personnel, shared personnel, you know, our setup, we have people, uh, tech teams from our factories in our space, we have uh, retail merchants and planners working in our offices. That's how we achieve the speed uh, in decision making. Um, and, and then the last piece for us is a willingness to build automated factories because uh, it's very, very difficult to achieve the speed efficiently uh, without, without more advanced factories. So that's, that's how we see it um, at the factory level. And, and then you can look at what kinds of teams do they need. We like factories that have product development teams that are, are, have a willingness to send people here to work with our tech designers so that we, we can eliminate some of the back and forth between factory and design floor. And, and then uh, we like factories that have very deep uh, sourcing and fabric research and sourcing capabilities. So John, you know, just to continue on this, on the topic of, of uh, factories and their role and responsibilities in the supply chain, um, how much of speed is, is, is platforming fabric versus forging relationships with factories versus empowering designers or empowering the supply chain? You know, where should brands really start? Well, they, you really have to start with strategy and decision-making, you know, a, a platforming strategy, um, you know, is not, is not the answer to the problem. Zara itself doesn't uh, platform across its, uh, its assortments. Um, so you, you have to make, by strategy, I'm saying, you know, what are you after? Are you after operational improvement or is it genuine, you know, transformation? Strategy is where you decide what's the magnitude of change, you know, that, that you, that you seek. And, uh, you know, I think seeing this as, you know, uh, important, 
you know, across the entire, um, you know, supply network and, and um, you know, retail partnership is, uh, is really the critical place to start. Um, let me, though, emphasize, you know, um, Mark has done a good job on technology. Robert has been very articulate uh, about the factory's role. But, you know, there's, um, uh, you know, the merchants play a, a, a critical role here. And I'll, I'll give you a story of a very, very achievable, um, you, know, uh, you know, change in, in lead times. I, I took one of, I took the senior team from one of the, you know, the largest U.S. brands over to Spain and met with the senior team at Zara. And as a result of that, of seeing how decisions are made at Zara, that retail team, which is one of the most recognizable, certainly the largest brands in the U.S., came back and they decided we're going to push decision-making down at a lower level. And, all, and after that visit, they no longer had their senior vice president approve the line. So they coordinated the process, but the approval of that was pushed down at the lowest level, just like it is at Zara. Zara is a lot of decisions at a lower level, taking high responsibility, empowering those people on the front line to make that decision, leaving out the hierarchies and the approvals, and that retailer cut 16 weeks out of the design and development just because of removing the duplication and, and approvals and back and forth with the factories. So you don't require a system to do that. That's really a cultural change. So there you go, 16 weeks out of the front end of the supply chain cycle is an enormous benefit. So there's a lot that can be done just by, you know, making the process changes that, uh, you know, that sort of maybe are our biggest hurdle. You know, it's, 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 it's just a great story. And I don't, I don't know why more people don't focus on just those kinds of aspects that don't require necessarily, you know, a system or, um, uh, you know, to make those changes. You know, change the culture first. That's, that's the place to start. Well, Mark, you, you know, you're, you're, you're inside, you know, uh, countless uh, amounts of companies uh, with with your uh, technology. Are you seeing a, a cultural shift happening behind these door, behind closed doors? Well, behind closed doors and in front of open doors. I mean, I, I kind of have I have a little bit of a a different opinion based upon what John just said. I don't think you can be as fast as you can by working in emails and spreadsheets. I agree with him a thousand percent that you want the decision-making at a lower level. Because as you go from level to level moving up, you're just wasting time on decisions. And a lot of times, those decisions become smaller, less risky decisions. So if there is a mistake, you, you absorb it and move on. But when we talk about strategies, and these are more advanced strategies, such as fabric, platforming, and postponement. Uh, we have one customer now that is fabric platforming, and they go in and they design the line into certain fabrics. Um, they have cut their lead time from the time they issue a PO to the time the goods are shipped from the factory. They've cut that from 17 weeks to four weeks. So just by positioning materials, which is the longest lead time once you hit production, they have um, trimmed their lead time immensely. And then you start looking to see where are the products needed 
And now you start directing product to the specific regions or even store doors that are running low. And that takes feedbacks from the retailers themselves. So that's kind of what closes the loop. And I know that when I was working with Bob two years ago, that was the vision and nobody else was doing it. So guys, I, I really want to thank you for, for joining uh, uh, myself today and, and Sourcing Journal. I'd like to give you each, you know, 30 seconds top. That's uh, 30 seconds for you, Mark. 30 seconds to leave the audience with just, you know, one final thought, one piece of advice, one uh, whatever you want to say. Let's start with uh, let's start with you, Robert. And uh, final final thoughts. So I, I would say the the key to this ad is to understand the change management culturally that is required in the entire value chain from factory to retailer and anyone that's in between. It starts there and quite frankly, it ends there. And my, so my, my sort of overarching advice is be sure you understand what is needed in terms of change management. Great. Mark? Well, I mean, I believe that information is really the key to making effective decisions. So once you have all the supply chain participants or partners all connected together, really they all have to have that single goal that I discussed earlier. It's really getting the product to the consumer who wants to buy it. So having that visibility and working backwards, I mean, people call it a demand-driven supply chain, really is going to become the norm. And the people that don't migrate in that direction probably won't be around much longer. And John? I think the key word is transformation. I, I think there's too much um, turnaround thinking. And I think that that is, um, while essential, um, it's really an incremental approach. And I think what we're looking at here is different business models. And um, I'm, I'm not sure that that's fully grasped. And uh, that requires, um, you know, um, you know, cultural change as, as, the, as the first order of business. And if it's not taking on at a sort of a transformational strategy, um, um, then I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, um, you know, everyone has the, um, the same opportunity here to succeed. Um, I think the pressure and change is accelerating. And um, I think there's going to be a clear difference between winners and losers over the next two years. All right. Well, John Thorback, Mark Bernstein, Robert DeLorean, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Until next time, I am your host, Edward Hertzman. All right. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.